to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I'm very excited to have filmmaker and theologian Sari Concepcion with me today to discuss Job 19 and uh, all of the implications of how we suffer in this world. Welcome, Sari. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for, for having me on. I really appreciate it. So uh, before we dive into this very intense chapter of Job, um, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Sure. Um, well, I um, live in Portland, Oregon, um, and my day job is doing communications for a nonprofit that helps people integrate their faith with the sciences, which is sort of a very unique little day job, but that um, I do communication stuff for them blueprint1543.org. That's our website. And we have like classes and stuff on there. Um, so that's all like faith science integration stuff. And that's my day job. And I do, you know, I help them. We produce videos and podcasts and stuff. But um, in my fun time, I um, write and develop film projects. My husband's also a filmmaker. And I, uh, I made a short film that I finished during the pandemic called Father Mary. Um, that it just, oh, uh, yeah, I can say this. Um, it's gonna, um, premiere at a little film festival in Detroit in a couple months. So I'm excited that people will finally be able to see it on some level. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then I have a foot in the world of sort of like the, um, shepherding of deconstructing Christians, not in the way that I, not shepherding, like I have a authority in any way, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, like, like I have the answers or something, but, um, but yeah, I went to seminary at Fuller and I got a master's in theology and, um, which left me in a pretty, with a lot of questions, um, in a, a deconstructed state as one might say. And I turned to a lot of podcasts to sort of process a lot of thoughts and ideas and questions, um, continued sort of learning and growing after graduation. And, um, ended up developing a website with my friend Dan Koch, who has the You Have Permission podcast, who um, you've been on You Have Permission, and um, Dan's been on this show, I think, once or twice. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, we developed a website called SoYou'reDeconstructing.com, and it's just a, a collection of resources for people who find themselves um, in that state of questioning the faith they were raised with and not really, like, just you can sit there and Google all night um, or you can kind of come and check out some of our curated resources. So, yeah. So you are. So you're deconstructing dot com. Um, if you want to check that out. Uh, thankfully, a lot of people have have been able to find that pretty useful. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, like I said, I was pretty deconstructed after seminary and um, ended up feeling I still totally identify as a Christian, and I feel like I've, I don't have everything figured out, but I have let go of certainty as a paramount 
sort of importance. Um, I'm very comfortable with more mystery and ambiguity in my relationship with God. And I still find the Jesus story incredibly compelling and am at peace with um, following Jesus and figuring out what that means throughout my life. So, um, yeah, except for me, being part of a church has always been really important. And I really feel like I experience God through community and through other humans. Um, and so having kind of recently moved and stuff, it's been difficult. Oh, and, uh, not to mention the global pandemic where <laughs> it's not thing. like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, where cultivating any kind of community has been uh, damn near impossible. So, um, so that's felt like a drought of um, kind of spiritual growth and stuff. I just kind of was trying to, I was like, I heard some people in the world have spiritual directors. I'm going to figure out what that means and try to find one. So I recently started mm. looking into like the Franciscan spiritual center, which is not too far and um, seeing about, you know, connecting with a spiritual director because I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do something here. (laughs) Is that like a, like a Christian, like counseling type of thing or what is it? How does that? um, um, It kind of is. Uh, (laughs) I should look up how they define it. She, she, the woman I contacted had a really nice little summary. They're not certified. It's kind of like past pastoral counseling, I guess. I've done it once before for a short period of time, and it felt a lot like counseling just with an eye to the spiritual, you know, you know, a lot of question asking, you know, not like a mentorship type relationship, more like a question session with an eye towards the spiritual. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, first, I should say that, like, um, the resources that you have out there for folks that are deconstructing, I think it, it, it's very, very helpful and, and really, um, really important. Uh, what you and Dan did is, like, great. Uh, there aren't a lot of people that are, I don't want to say catering to that crowd, but providing resources for that crowd. And, and yeah. um, it, I've been pretty open about doubt on the show. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of this, like, uh, born again Christian in a way. So of course my faith is, I'm in like the infant or like early adolescent stages where I'm like, Oh, nothing can shake me and nothing can stop me. And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, I'm so connect, I'm so alive and I'm so on fire with the love of Christ. But like, ultimately I have doubt like anyone else does. And as someone who's had faith throughout their entire lives and, and has experienced trauma, uh, you know, in situations where they've been, you know, in, in, church communities or um, have have felt things drawing them away from the faith that they have um, would be, you know, well advised to like consider, you know, open your heart to the option of, of maybe trying to re-understand how it is that you, that you believe. Yeah. You, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can truly hang on to your faith and you can, you can still consider yourself a Christian, even if you're not still um, going to the tent revivals, you know, it, it, it's a different, (laughs) things will, (laughs) things will change for you in your life. Um, the one thing that is, um, the one thing that is sure in life is change actually. And so, um, I think it's really cool what you're doing and, and I admire it a great deal. 
Yeah, thank you. I We try to have like a lot of options on there. We're not like, oh, here's a new way to think. We're like, here's some options of other ways to think because the Christian tradition is broad and deep. And uh, there's a lot, you know, a lot of the Christianity we experience is very encultured and doesn't know that it's encultured. And um, so once you kind of look, take a little bit of um, the 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 variety of the Christian tradition into account, and you learn a little bit of the history and what other things have been going on in Christianity over, you know, the last two thousand years. It can be you can be like, oh, I can still find beauty in this. I can still find you don't you know I can still find a new way to appreciate this. Um, you know, off, like you said, there's often trauma and stuff, and I don't want to like minimize that that's that's big um but yeah there there's options you know there's yeah. definitely options you don't need to feel pigeonholed into a particular yeah. um practice uh right. individual denominations will have their particularities but ultimately like yeah. the message of Jesus is so strong and so hopeful and so um loving yeah. that you don't give it up unless you really feel that, that is what you need to do because like it can improve your life in ways that I can't yeah. even explain, but you just have to have to give it time and, and open yeah. yourself to it. Yeah. And it's been like um, very, it's been encouraging for me to see you express your faith on Twitter um, in the midst of so much of the like cynicism on Twitter, Twitter and, <laughs> um, and like, and you're just like, I'm going to tweet the Jesus prayer over and over again. <laughs> Cause uh, that I need that, that resonates with me, you know? And like some people, I watched this documentary the other night where there was a church setting where they were saying things, none of which I agree with anymore um, <laughs> in this church setting. But there was a moment in the service that they were showing in this documentary where a guy just reached out and put his hand on someone's shoulder and just spontaneously started praying for that person. And I was like, dang, I kind of missed that. And I know like a lot of people would be super triggered by that. Like, and yes, there's like, there's toxic pastoral leadership and like people doing that to be manipulative and weird and stuff that happens too. But like, that like, seems like such an act of love. Like, I am just gonna just appeal to the God of the universe real quick for you. <laughs> and I was like, that for me, that doesn't trigger me. I'm like, oh, I kind of, kind of miss that. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The, um, Twitter is, uh, is interesting. It, it's this place where like I've connected with any number of like incredible people and people that have enriched my life in, in real, like tangible ways. Um, yeah. friends that I've had now for, for almost a decade that I've just been on this dumb website for so long that I've just like connected <laughs> with these people. But it is like some days you'll scroll through and it's just negativity on top of negativity on top of like Ugh. backbiting terrible awful things that people say to each other and it's like some days i literally have nothing else to say other than lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me a sinner that's it that's all i have yeah. have mercy on us yeah. right on us all of us, <laughs> on us all. <laughs> yeah amen uh, <laughs> and on that note my redeemer yeah. lives Job 19. Oh my gosh. So you, hear, you see that. So yeah, this is like a weird. So I was like, Job has like, I was trying to remember. I was like, Job's kind of a long book. Should I read the whole thing to get ready for this? 
And I was like, I think it's like 35 chapters or something. And I was like, no, it's 42 chapters. <laughs> it's it's big. It's and long it and, yeah, and intense. And um, I did read it all. I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of like skimmed through a couple chapters. But, um, but yeah, it's a long one. And then like chapter 19, which is the one I chose for us to focus on, is sort of like the belly button of the, <laughs> of the book. Let's call it that. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, the that's why it's obviously that section. So chapter nineteen, starting in verse uh, twenty five, like twenty five through twenty seven, uh, and it says in my translate in my book translation it says brief hope, and <laughs> it is sandwiched between chapters and chapters of lament, and the the things that Job is saying are like. Uh, God is like a tsunami that crushes innocent people. <laughs> like that's the kind of stuff oh. he's saying. I don't think I don't think he ever uses the tsunami metaphor. That but exact like, words, yeah. That, <laughs> but that's basically the gist. And he's describing God in those terms, like over and over again. But then, uh, seemingly out of nowhere, there is this declaration of such. Uh, hope and faith. And I just thought, that's weird. Let's talk about that. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know how, do, should we read it or like, how do you, how do you want to structure this? You know, it's a lot of text up front to get to yeah. verse 25 through 27, but I think maybe it would be helpful to like, just go through the, the whole, whole thing. Yeah. Because um, like for context, for those that aren't familiar with Job, Job like was this godly man. He was he was um, you know he worshipped God. He honored God. He was a, a good dude, and and ultimately his life was turned upside down because they were having essentially like this trial in the heavens mm. of like uh, well Job's only good because you've like made him prosperous right and right. and so what would happen if you took it all away from him. <laughs> If you mm-hmm. absolutely destroyed this man's life, what would happen? And so Job, un- unknowingly, uh, is experiencing all of this suffering and and trying to contend with it, with it and and maintain his faith and and try to still be a believer and try to still be God honoring despite the fact that yeah. like his his skin is falling off, um, yeah. <laughs> amongst other <laughs> amongst other things. Yeah, that's good for context. I, I remember being taught, but apparently this is not true, that Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. But that's, I guess, not necessarily uh, true. Um, but it is one of the most, um, like, from a literary standpoint, like, advanced. Like, there's a lot of words used in Job that are only used in Job, and it's, like, sophisticated. So this is, like, generally considered, like, a very... Um, just a, a remarkable piece of literature. And most of it is poetry, except for the couple chapters in the beginning and the couple at the end. It's like the, you know, the opening and the closing. Um, but all the middle stuff is written in the form of poetry. Like that's the, the genre. Another thing is that they, that like divine council where they're talking about Job in the beginning, a lot of translations say, call it Satan that Satan comes and talks to God and is like, whatever, this dude only follows you because he's got nice stuff and he, mm-hmm. you, you know, he's got a nice life. 
Um, but apparently, you know, that that's kind of like misleading. It's the, the term there is just adversary. So it's just this adversarial presence in the heavenlies, which can be interpreted a little bit, you know, differently. I don't know if that that might be important to some people. But. No, I think it is. And, and, yeah. and understanding that this is not like a personalization of, of like a, a, a version of like the devil as, you know, we have this image culturally in our minds of yeah. this particular being with like horns and and like goat hooves and stuff like that like this is not that's not what happened here there's just yeah. it's like a we're, i'm picturing more of like a courtroom environment yeah, 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 <laughs> like yeah. god is well, doing yeah, it's like yeah like a king with like kind of in court with like all his counselors like all the lawyers sitting around and <laughs> chat yeah Exactly. Talking about something. I mean, there's also like controversy or like in more like, is this something that actually happened? Which I think getting hung up on that is a really bad move because then you start thinking like, okay, like is Satan doing that? Like, (laughs) you know, like when I was a kid, you kind of think like, oh, is Satan like going to God and being like, consider Sari. Like, should we mess with her right now? Like, (laughs) you know? Uh, yeah, let's let's see how it goes. Okay, you know, but that like really, I think, distracts from the point, which is that it's this like beautifully written piece of literature that is rich in like theologically multifaceted. Like, uh, we're gonna look at this issue from all angles, and if you put it in context of the the wisdom literature, which is you know, Job's right by. Uh, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, like the thing with Proverbs is like, if you do good things, good things happen. And then Ecclesiastes is like, yeah, but sometimes that's not the case. And, uh, and Job is like part of that conversation. Like how, why do bad things happen? Is it possible to know why, you know, is God, does God just is God just all those big questions like Job is just a rich uh, piece of literature engaging in that theological conversation. And that I think is the, the, the thing that feeds a lot of people's doubt is like, well, if God's real, then why is there so much suffering right. in the world? I mean, it's a very simple question. It's right. like, I feel like you can never stop talking about it because there is no end to the suffering that we experience in this world. It, right. that, that is a little gloomy, but to be honest, I mean, it's true. We feel right. this intense weight upon ourselves at times and we go and we pray out to God and we, and we you know, cry to the heavens, like, please relieve me of this. And sometimes yeah. we are relieved, but other times we are continually suffering. We just have to put ourselves through yeah. it. And how we maintain our faith through that is mm-hmm. really important. I mean, it, it, it is, um, it's the eternal, it's almost the eternal question. It is the deciding factor for most people's faith. Yep, it's a big one. And that's another <laughs> thing I wanted to say is like, I think a lot, a lot of times people approach this book kind of thinking, like reading it and being like, well, is he right? Is that okay that he said that? Is he right that he said that? And just kind of thinking it in this very, uh, you know, like, logic, reason, heady way. And you need to hear what Job says, imagining it from a a suffering person. Um, 
like it needs to be in the context of not just words floating about God, but like words coming from a person who is suffering deeply. And maybe you can do that by imagining a time when you suffered deeply, you know, or I think of when I was, I've suffered the worst of my life or felt most alienated or alone or in physical pain or, you know, different things like that. And you have to sort of embody the words to do them justice. Um, I don't know. That just seems important to me Um, because we experience God in different ways throughout our lives. And that's legit. Like that's like, (laughs) (laughs) that's how it, it just is real. And so there's a rich variety of ways that people experience God at different times. And they're all in scripture, which is one of the reasons I really like the Bible because of the variety that you see. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And, and I think some of the most compelling um, parts of the Bible are these these sorts of passages where we see um, someone who has done nothing but experience kind of loss and um, and yeah. sort of terrible things that, that go on and, and, and tragedy, and then they turn. And this has been kind of a theme in the last few episodes. There's been a lot of this where we turn. All of these terrible things are happening and all of these. um, It's I did an uh, episode early on Habakkuk and it's the same thing. So much is going wrong, but yet, but yet. Mm -hmm. And there's this uh, the lamentations and in the Psalms kind of beat this uh, same drum, too. But yet. And well, that's where the but yet is the 25 through 27, which is an unbelievable mm-hmm. passage, and mm-hmm. I'm yeah, very excited. But let's start reading. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm, I read from the ESV. What's your preferred translation? I have a CEB, which is the Common English Bible um, that I got into in seminary. I would really so, like to hear if you okay. catch anything um, as far as, like, massive differences in translation. Yeah. Please let me know because I definitely want to hear like where the CEV varies. I've read a little bit of the CEV and it, it's very, it's very plain spoken, which I yeah, like. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And sometimes and it's, it, it's not always the best at like capturing more of the poetic language. Like I think sometimes ESV does better at capturing a poetic spirit in the word choices, mm-hmm. but I do sort of like the plainness of the CEV too, the plain, plain and, English. And the, um, it helps to, in particular sections of the Bible where the language is a little bit murky or unclear, yeah. especially like in the uh, King James or New King James or ESV, totally. yeah. having these yeah. more of common English versions help you kind of tease out what the meaning might be. Uh, and yeah. different versions like the message or the voice uh, tend to like over um, ornament the language yeah. a little bit. They, they get a little, they, they have, they take some liberties with what the actual message might be. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which sometimes it's kind of fun. You're like, no, oh, what did, you, what did you, what did Eugene, how did, yeah. But then Eugene Peterson's personality comes through quite a bit too. And that can be kind of like, okay, like your grandpa or something. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, okay. So the header in the ESV is Job replies, uh, Job is mm-hmm. replying to Bildad, who is one of his friends. Uh, he's got these friends that keep rebuking him and saying, well, you're suffering. There must be some reason why you're suffering. What did you do? Why Why does stuff keep going badly for you? It's because you've done something wrong. It's your sin. God doesn't just punish people for no reason. Um, and so Job is replying to this latest accusation. 
And it says uh, in verse one, then Job answered and said, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These 10 times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if, he, even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. And my hope has he pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. So we'll pause. The situation as it stands is uh, Job feels hopeless, a little bit hopeless, that um, no matter what it is that I've done, he's saying, right, uh, here's my situation. I am stuck, and I am, I am suffering. Why would God s- send troops? <laughs> this... Every time I every time I read this or I listen to it or I, I check out a different translation, I just keep coming back to this. Why? Um, how does this how does this first section kind of hit you? Um, well, a quick small anecdote is like when I was a teenager, I was very reformed and like a very passionate Calvinist, and I remember this like I have this cringy memory of when I was with this friend of mine from a youth group I was going to, and she was telling me about something difficult that was happening in her life. And I just came at her with theology, like, well, you know, God's in control and you got to submit to God's will, you know? (laughs) And she just was so pissed at me. I was like, I remember, I like remember the look on her face. Like, are you fucking serious right now? So, uh, you know, I think when you talk about, like, Job's friends, like, I, that reminds me of me in, <laughs> in high school. And so he's like, seriously, God's already crushing me. Like, do you guys have to come at me like that, too, you know? And then in the second section, like, 7 through 11, um, yeah, I mean, Job is very much blaming, like, putting God making God 100% responsible for his suffering. And um, I don't know. Did he just need, like, to read Tom Ord's book and and get it straightened out about that, you know? (laughs) Friend of the show, Thomas J. Ord. uh, Yeah, yeah, he's like, God doesn't have such a strong uh, God's not a micromanager uh, God you know um, we are creatures of free will and things happen and um, I don't know I don't want to go into it but there's anyway, a lot to pick apart there a, no it is because yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. what they're saying what his friends are saying is that like your suffering is a result of your sin and that's like the 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 right. primary message in contemporary Christianity is pretty much that, right? Like you, your suffering is because of something bad that you did. And in 
then are we're, we're going to tease apart like are we talking about is this god causing that suffering or is it just like the nature of the world is that if you so, if you sin then you will suffer and this is actually like the enemy working against you or or some other force yeah. that is that's causing you to suffer um, yeah or like a lot of things like you know <laughs> like things have like a ton of causes right like it could yeah. be multiple causes um it's interesting because like the end of the book is like god shows up and i think that people get kind of overly simplistic about it with god sort of just you know god comes in and starts like mapping out like the majesty of creation like everything from like the tides of the ocean to like baby goats being born and like he was like did you invent baby goats being born did you you know he's like asking in the form <laughs> god's asking job in these questions and i think it's a little overly simplistic to be like god's like shut up i invented you know goats or whatever like i don't think that's how it's meant to be taken i am drawn towards um like uh, this is mysterious and there's there's deeper wisdom than uh, than you know what to do with. And jo- Job in the end is like, you know what? I was too proud in declaring how I thought the world worked. But, and, and God seems to be agreeing with him. It's like, yeah, you were a little too proud on how you, you were kind of saying things. But he does also say, but you were in the right and your friends were in the wrong, which is interesting too, you know? Like <laughs> God's recognizing, like, like, you didn't really deserve this, dude. This was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he still says you were right, but, like, dang. <laughs> so yeah. why did you do all this? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he never finds out why. Um, he really, like, God never says, like, oh, there was this thing where this adversary was, like, talking to me about you, and we set up this bet, and, like, like God never, like, explains that but uh, you know like that's not relevant but anyway no i mean uh the most of the commentaries that i listened to or read about Mm -hmm. this particular um book of the bible ultimately like it's not just about job's why right job's why is a microcosm of why do bad things happen to good people but Mm -hmm. um every single person that was trying to suss out the meaning of this uh book essentially said Nowhere in Job does it explain why bad things happen to good people. Simply, it does not. Ex- it, it does not explain. This is a. Um, it's like a game of dice. For. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it came down to chance, I think, for Job, and ultimately, it seems like God's response is like, "Yeah, that probably you, you didn't really deserve this. It just happened," which takes agency away from God in a way, right? If we're talking about, mm. if we're talking about Tom uh, and, and his kind of, <laughs> his mindset on on God and, and the power of God, it's like, um, there uh-huh. are things that are going to happen that aren't necessarily um, going to be controlled by God. And, and that yeah. will upset the younger Calvinist in you, I'm sure, but... <laughs> Yeah, she but, might be um, kicking around in there a little bit still. <laughs> I don't know. I, yes, I'm definitely more on board with a, you know, an open and relational view of God and how the world works. Um, I'm not going to, and I have Tom's book on my nightstand 
right now. I can see it from where I'm sitting. <laughs> it has not been read yet. Um, but I will say that I always want to approach those this topic with like some fear and trembling. Um, and yeah, I would never in a million years say that to <laughs> say that to someone again in my life. Like, oh, but God's in control or God did this. God caused your, you know, loved one to die or, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't, I would never talk like that anymore. So that's not what I'm saying. I guess what I'm saying is just God is complicated. And anytime I never want to act like I've got God all figured out. And this book of the Bible kind of leaves me with that just in the end. Like I went to an event once at Fuller where someone actually Philip, Philip Yancey was talking and he was talking about lament and, um, and tragedy. And he did, he left it open-ended. He didn't even, he almost didn't, he was just almost like, what about this terrible thing that happened? You know, he talked about a tragic, um, a tragic uh, incident somewhere. And as soon as he finished talking, um, uh, there was this beautiful piece played on a cello Mm -hmm. and to sort of just like a a lamenting um, sound. And I was like, this is what we have in the face of deep suffering and tragedy. We have like we just have to play, we have to play a lament. We have to play a lament. And like the only thing appropriate was not to say a word, was to just play a note. And for, Mm. I I can't, maybe that, that doesn't make logical sense. That's not an answer. But, uh, but yeah, I think that uh, art and beauty have a big role to play in how we respond to death and tragedy, stuff like that. Anyway. That's really interesting. No, I mean, I, I think, well, first of all, I think it's important to say that, like, my, personally, my view on on this is not that God doesn't act and not that God can't right. act, right? But that it's not always God in our suffering right. or in our joy, even. Um, right. I would like to say that all good things come from God, and, and, and there's scriptural basis for that. But ultimately, I can't. I can't resign myself to a state of mind where I say every bad thing that happens to me is because God is punishing me. It was it was an old mm-hmm. saying I remember when I was growing up. My my parents used to say something along the lines of um, God is punishing you with a cotton stick. It's like this could be so much worse for you. So uh, <laughs> accept this. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that our reaction to the suffering should be to admire the beauty of the creation um, and to say that it's not all bad. Uh, there is an incredible amount of beauty in this world that we can experience um, anywhere. Yeah. Turn your eyes to I the agree. sky and you'll see incredible clouds in a beautiful sky. You'll see, um, you know, trees uh, blossoming all around you. Incredible. Yeah. Like this creation is amazing. Uh, so don't get too spun up over um, minor or major inconveniences. Some things are out of our hands. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes it can be hard to access, like the God, um, you know, Job speaks of God as, as hidden a lot. And so not only is Job experiencing suffering, but he's not experiencing God in the suffering, which sometimes that happens, right? Like I've been through really times in my life that where I felt like I was really suffering. I was felt very, I felt very depressed and isolated. But I still had a sense of God with it, 
with me in it. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you don't have that sense. Sometimes, you know, God is, uh, God feels far away and that can be, that can be difficult. Um, I, yeah. And I think that the next section we'll read, he goes, it's in my Bible, it says social ostracism, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a huge part of suffering, you know, like it, so, we are social creatures and I feel like we can almost get through anything if we have good, supportive, loving, accepting people in our lives. But if we don't have that, then we're, then it's death. It's a slow death, sometimes a not slow death. It's, um, so anyway, that's, that's no, that's what made, I think the last year, year and a half so hard for a lot of people so is that we're not, we yeah. are not meant to be alone. That's, that's a Genesis. Yeah. I mean, we are not yeah. meant to be by ourselves. And so mm-hmm. having to be isolated from each other and not being able to, to be together. I, I know that there's a lot of different feelings about, um, people getting back together in groups and, um, and ultimately yeah. I think the ramifications of that are yet to be seen. There was something joyous about the pictures that I saw from Lollapalooza that I was like, oh my God, people can talk to each other and be in groups together again. Yeah. I know that this, there might be disastrous results from this. I fully understand that. I, I, I'm not saying that that's not a, a risk, but there is something in my heart that, that is so, um, that's so like brought to life when I see people joining in groups again, it's like, this is how we're supposed to be. I Um, know. It's so hard. It's so hard when loving your neighbor is like distant, socially distancing from them. It's like a very confusing thing. And loving your neighbor is leaving your neighbor alone. Yes. It's so (laughs) confusing in my heart. Um, Do you maybe want to read this next section from the CEV? Sure. Um, do you want me to go all the way to 22, maybe? Um, What do you think? 13 through... Yeah, 13 through 22, and then we'll go back to ESV for the next... Great. Okay. Uh, Still talking of God. He has distanced my family from me. My acquaintances are also alienated from me. My visitors have ceased. Those who know me have forgotten me. My guests and female servants think me a stranger. I'm a foreigner in their sight. I call my servant and he doesn't answer. I myself must beg him. My breath stinks to my wife, which is hilarious. (laughs) 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 I am odious to my children. Even the young despise me. I get up and they rail against me. All my closest friends despise me. The ones I have loved turn against me. My bones cling to my skin and flesh. I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Pity me. Pity me. You are my friends. God's hand has truly struck me. Why do you pursue me like God does, always hungry for my flesh? It's a bad time. Tactile language in this section, right? Very, um, yes, physically kind of, um, kind of repulsive. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the translation really didn't, didn't do much to change what from the ESV. It's the same. My breath is strange to my wife in 17. (laughs) I'm a, I'm a stench to the children of my own mother. Uh, (laughs) what a weird thing to say, but this is like, I'm, I have become repulsive, uh, because of my suffering, I've become repulsive. And I don't know if this is like 
Job saying, I'm now so depressed and I'm so, I'm, I've suffered so much that I have let myself go. Or if this is another one of God's punishments. How did, how did you kind of see those? Is, is this God causing Job to have stinky breath? Or is this like Job letting himself <laughs> go because of the way that he's suffering? <laughs> um, well, he starts out with railing against God. like So he seems to blame God from his family being distanced. Maybe he feels... I'd, maybe he if he has let himself go, it's not his fault. Like he's in a medical circumstance right where he's got these like sores you know he's sick he's got these sores all over his entire body from head to toe and so so yeah I think if I think the description here is just how he finds himself and I don't think he feels like he has any option to be any other way so it's not just like I'm lonely it's like I'm not just no one's around, but people are repelled by me. It's like if I try to get people to come close, even people who work for me, like, are repelled f- repelled by me, are disgusted from me. So, yeah. Trouble. Yeah, and he's and yeah. he's waste he's wasting away. The bones stick to my the bones stick to my skin and to my flesh is like to say that like I've lost all this weight now. I'm just like this this um, sore covered, uh, stinky, skinny like mess of a man that no one wants to be around me. And of course, you know, I I don't know what that says about his children or his family, because like, you know, someone (laughs) that you love is sick. You don't just go, Oh God, you're so gross. I can't be around you anymore. That says something about them, but ultimately like the, the the wretch that he's kind of, or like the, the horrible state that he's in is, is, um, well, it's troubling, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I feel it's a combination of sickness and depression and that, I don't know, kind of, I like that he pulls in this very visceral, physical imagery or that the author does to describe his circumstances because, uh, I don't know, we all like can feel sort of stuck in our bodies and stuck in how people are perceiving us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think of that uh if I try to make it relatable in any way, which, you know, of course I've I've never been in Job's situation or whatever, but, um, just like the, just feeling that there's things about you that you can't help the way that you're perceived by others and that it's maybe alienating you from people you want to connect with. Like that is very, very sad and, and grievable. So I, I mean, I just love how visceral the language is there. Yeah. Well, and yeah, go ahead. ahead. I was was just going to say like, um, the way that some of the language is kind of like chuckle inducing just because of the, how physical it is. But anyone that's been through like a, a, a time in their life that is like very depressed or they've, they've withdrawn from the world. Um, because they just feel so sad or they, they just can't, you can't get out of bed or you can't, can't bring yourself to even take a shower. Like this is something Mm -hmm. that people with depression uh, can, can acutely um, relate to. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. is something that where you don't even, it's not that you 
maybe it's not even that your family doesn't want to be around you. It's that you can't fathom that the, your loved ones would want to be around you because you're so disgusting. Yeah. You're like, you're characterizing yourself in this way. And therefore you feel yeah. like the people that you love don't, don't want to be with you. And, and maybe that's part of what Job is experiencing here. He said, well, I'm so disgusting. How could anyone possibly love me? Yeah. Yeah. And that's often where it gets to in times of, in difficult times, you know, on a very, like on a lesser scale, but like moving to a new city in the last year and not having that many close friendships. Uh, some days I'm like, it's okay. It's, it's okay. There's hope. It's just been a pandemic and I moved to a new city, you know, like those Mm -hmm. are my circumstances. But then there's some days where I'm not doing as good and maybe my blood sugar's low or whatever, whatever the cases is where I'm just like, is this me? Like I'm a woman in my thirties and I have like, like what, am I such a loser that I don't have good friends, you know? And you start like experiencing this, like, this is, you know, assigning these uh, causes to help kind of, uh, you know, sometimes just like having a reason, even if it's a shitty reason, it's like, (laughs) I'm a loser. That's why I don't have friends. You know, it's like, can be, I don't know, something, there's something natural and comforting about that, even though it's not comforting. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, just sort of like start to think, you start to think that way. And like you mentioned, like anyone who's experienced depression, um, you know, even even though those things aren't real, they you experience them as real. In those moments, they feel real. And, yeah. and you know, he ends this section uh, by saying he feels like he's slowly, you know, he's dying. He feels like he's wasting away. He's, he's being eaten by God until he dies, basically. (laughs) Like, he's, uh, he's like, God's eating my flesh, and now you guys are in here metaphorically eating my flesh with your accusations. So, um... And yeah, that's just yeah. Weird. There's not much flesh to go around because the bones are sticking to the skin already. So <laughs> right. it's oh, a bad wow. scene. Yeah. yeah, but we have a turn. We have this lovely optimistic turn here, which I, yeah. you know, I kind of needed after, after reading oh, all yeah. the way through this. We get to a point where Job actually starts to kind of comfort himself mm-hmm. with this notion of his faith, with um, this, um, with this belief that no matter what is happening to me. It will all be right in the end. So I'll read through uh, 23 through 29 here. Cool. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say how we will pursue him and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword for wrath brings the punishment of the sword and that you may know there is a judgment. Oof. Dang. <laughs> Dang, snaps. <laughs> I, I really... Um, the line that stuck with me the most in this, and uh, for I know yeah. that my Redeemer lives. We uh, Redeemer is, the, at the time, the word Redeemer, or the I think the word that is the root word for this translation is that, like, a Redeemer was someone that would buy back slaves or mm-hmm. um, would sort of, like, re, re yeah, buy, essentially buying back is, is the word that yeah. I think is the closest translation. Um, yeah. 
we see more Jesus talk in the Old Testament. I get so excited when I see like a little reference to what might be what might be to come, like foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the 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 line that struck with me stuck with me the most was, "In my flesh I shall see God." Um, yeah, dude. How intense is that? How <laughs> unbelievably beautiful is that? It's that, like a yeah. It's a resurrection. It's like it's saying, "I know I'm going to be resurrected," which is wild. Especially in the, you don't have a lot of that in the Old Testament. You know, the term shields all, all over this book and all mm. over the Old Testament. And their, their idea of the afterlife is not developed in the way it is in the New Testament. Um, it's like the place of the dead or whatever. But here you have like this description of like, my skin and flesh will be torn apart. But then in my flesh, I will see God with my actual eyes, not a stranger's eyes, with my actual eyeballs, I will see God, which is also a really audacious statement um, because, you know, you have like, um, what's the story where Abraham like sees the back of God, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you can't look at me, you will effing, you'll die. And uh, so, you know, I'll show you my backside, which what the hell does that even That's mean? That's a little weird, but yeah. even... <laughs> Even with that, though, like, no one can look at him for days. Wait, shoot. Was that Moses or Abraham? Mo <laughs> I think it was Moses. It's, Mo uh, oh, it's Moses. Uh, Sorry. Oh, I don't know. I think it's Moses. But uh, but anyway, like, so there's that thing. Like, no one can see God. You die if you see God. And so back to back, he's got this, like, okay, yeah, my flesh will be ripped apart. But then I will have this, like, new flesh, and I will be face to face with God. And just the... The radical, it's almost like a fever dream, right? Like the way that yeah. I kind of had that thought, like, because he's in these laments, you know, where he's characterizing God so in such dark terms. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, I got to prophesy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, bro, are you okay? <laughs> and it's not that, right, it's not that we can't see God in in any form, right? Because Jesus right. walked among people and and was there and and was crucified and was raised and people saw him after he, after he was raised from the dead and so like God in any physical form is not impossible to gaze upon. But at this time, that was the understanding of Yahweh. Sure, that was that's like, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that was their understanding was that I can't see God. We can't even we can't even look at him. And yet we have this like oh, right. almost proto like. Um, Gospel. notion of yeah, <laughs> yeah proto notion of like the, the holy spirit existing within us is that yeah even though i'm destroyed even though all of this stuff this these or, terrible things are happening to me i can see god within myself right so the idea of like the holy of holies inside the temple like mm -hmm. in this old testament period where it was only like god's presence dwelled in the centermost part of the temple and no one could go in there except for the priests like once a year like the high priest <laughs> once a year could go in and he would even be like covered and stuff and it was this whole thing and then um and so that's like that's the live theology at the time um you know and then there's that imagery in the new testament where the curtains ripped from top to bottom yeah. bottom after the resurrection you <laughs> yeah. know like everybody's got it's all access you know everybody's got access <laughs> um so so yeah it, it's it's pretty incredible and i yeah i just yeah i want that you know like yeah. <laughs> faith faith um 
faith can like wax and wane. And uh, yeah, I feel hungry sometimes for moments like these where you have that glimmer of light where you're like, you know what? I'm totally going to be resurrected and see God in my flesh. Like, <laughs> you know, to be able to say that with your heart and with conviction and love, like, um, I don't know. It's, it's special. Yeah. The, re- the Redeemer lives. And, and I think it would be so helpful for us as people, um, these, these fallen people that we are and, and flawed and, and sinning and, and, and um, self-destructive at times, that in our moments of, of suffering, in our greatest moments of suffering, we focus on this fact that the Redeemer lives, that God exists. And then when we come out of this moment of suffering to look into ourselves and say, is, do I, can I see God within me? Can I see something mm-hmm. within me that allowed me to, to work through this when I thought it, w- it would take a supernatural level of strength or a supernatural level of, of um, composure to handle this particular amount of suffering? What was it that got me through this? Very cool. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, we need... Everybody needs that. Everybody needs tasty morsels of that. And that's like why you, um, part of the reason why you talk about Lollapalooza or something, like we need those moments of transcendence where we feel that connection to the world, to other human beings, um, to God. And I think all of that, those three things are not separate. They're connected um, to help create those moments for each other. Mm -hmm. I think that is an important calling and the closing of the the chapter is like don't so don't don't shit talk me anymore okay because yeah. the, the hand of judgment is coming for you if you torment yeah. me you will be tormented yeah you, um, you know what it's um i just two sundays ago i visited a church called cascade here in portland and there there they the pastor happened to be talking about when jesus Jesus is like citing the news, the local news. He's like, remember when the Tower of Siloam like fell on those guys? You know the story I'm talking about? Like Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about some like the local news, which is that this tower fell and it killed mm-hmm. some people. And uh, and then Jesus is like, do you think those people died because they were more sinful than the other people who were standing around? And then it kind of, he goes into this weird parable and he talks about it's this fig tree that withers and stuff. Mm. But um, the pastor that day offered up um, an interpretation, which really goes along with, I think, what Job is getting at, which is um, our natural tendency to want to know why. uh, And, you know, when we read the news and we're like, why is this happening? Who's to blame? And there is a place for that. But what about instead, like death and destruction is going to happen in this world. What Instead of trying to say why, why don't you pursue the question of how can I... Um, how can I bring light and life into this world? Like kind of just turning the question in a different direction and saying, okay, what can I do in my own life and my spheres of influence to create light and life um, where there's darkness? Mm. Um, I liked that. And that seemed, that, that thing, I think that goes along. Like, I, I wish we had a story about, like, I don't know, like, 
if we had like Job's friends just not being cool, you know, not being <laughs> <laughs> being the, the my my uh, uh, they call it the cage stage Calvinists, you know, like the <laughs> the like let's theologize about why this is happening to you and let's look for your your faults and 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 figure out why this is happening rather than let's create light and life in this space where someone is in deep in deep suffering. Yeah, they're not good friends. Are they? No, they're not. They're, they're really not bad friends. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's interesting, too, that I noticed at the end, and I guess I hadn't really noticed this before, but, like, God's, like, um, this is in 42.7, I guess. And God is, God's, like, looking at Eliphaz and the Temanite and all of the friends, and he's like, I'm angry with you because you guys haven't spoken about me correctly to Job. And they tell, God tells them to bring offerings, like, uh, sacrifices and ask Job to pray for them. And Job, my servant, will pray for you and I will act favorably by not making fools of you because you didn't speak correctly like my <laughs> servant Job did. <laughs> and then they do. And then like once God, once Job prays for his friends who were like bad friends, then the Lord like gifts him with like some abundance and they all have like a party. <laughs> yeah. You know, all his brothers and his sisters and his friends come to him and they make food at his house and they comfort him and console him. Like in my mind, this story ended with God just being like, hey, here's I'm restoring you now. Like it's yeah. over. Let me restore you. <laughs> Sorry but about all that. I, <laughs> yeah. But when I reread it, uh, there was like this community thing that happened. Like they, they, there was a reconciliation between his friends. Uh, there was, you know, the part in chapter 19 called social isolation. There's the reverse of that. Like family members come close to him. They have food, they have a party, they have dinner. They, they don't just, they, they address it. They say they comfort and console Job concerning the disaster that the Lord brought upon him. And, um, and like give him presents. <laughs> yeah, and he lives to 140 with 6,000 yeah. camels. <laughs> <laughs> Which to us it sounds hilarious, but to them probably sounded like, dang, <laughs> like, that guy is rich. He's got it. <laughs> and what a, what a good guy Job is to pray after all the shit that they put him through, all of his friends, he prays for them. Because yeah. God is going to curse them, and he and he says, "No, please listen. I know that they were mean to me, but they're my friends. So please be nice to them." And then, of course, God grants that. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> puzzling. Yeah, uh, I love it. It's uh, all sorts of interesting stuff. <laughs> um, did you have anything else that you wanted to touch on in this? I think we pretty, I think we pretty well covered Job nineteen. I I like this. Um, I like yeah. this conversation a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a good microcosm of the whole book, too. And um, yeah, no, I don't really have anything to add after my... I just kind of want to read it one more time. Can I do that? <laughs> I want to read it in the CV. I just want to say... Yes. You want to read the whole I thing? Know, no, I just, I'll just read the brief hope because I want to oh, yeah, end please. with the brief hope. Okay, good. But I know that my Redeemer is alive and afterward he'll rise upon the dust after my skin has been torn apart this way, then from my flesh, I'll see God, whom I'll see myself. 
my eyes see and not a stranger's. I am utterly dejected. <laughs> so brief the hope is. Uh, yeah, thanks for having this conversation with me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Do you want to plug anything real quick before um, before we sign off? No, I'll just well, I'll just go ahead and say the name of the website one more time. It's soyourdeconstructing.com. And uh, yeah, you can find a lot of cool resources there. Um, and I'll just say, yeah, the the other resource about if people want to get into some psychology stuff. Um, if people love learning about psychology with an eye towards theology, um, I just finished putting together a bunch of resources. It's the way that me and Dan Koch met was through this program called Theopsych. So theology, psychology, Theopsych. It's T-H-E-O-P-S-Y-C-H dot com will take you to these classes that are about psychology and theology that I just produced for the company I work for. Um, so those websites both have a, a plethora of fun resources. This week's poem is by Ezra Pound. It's called The Summons. I cannot bow to woo thee with honey words and flower kisses and the dew of sweet half-truths, fallen on the grass of old quaint love tales, of brighter days foredone. Nor in the murmurous twilight may I sit below thee, worshipping in whispers, tremulous as far-heard bells, as these things have I known once and past. In that gay youth I had but yesteryear, and that is gone, as the shadow of the wind. Nay, I cannot woo thee thus, but as I am ever swept upward to the center of all truth, so I must bear thee with me, wrapped into this great, involving flame, calling ever from the midst thereof, follow, follow. And in the glory of our meeting shall the power be reborn. And together in the midst of this power, must we each outstriving each cry eternally, I come, go thou yet further, and again follow, for we may not tarry. Thanks, everybody. He was, he was in the church yard, my father. There was in the first part He came, he came to my bedroom But I was asleep And he woke me up again To say Again.